0: Now, we can begin to understand Jesus' purpose, and His purpose is to evangelize these people. His purpose has been the same, and it will be the same, as it always has, to preach the kingdom of God. Listen, Jesus went where the Jews don't go, because they needed Christ. And He knew their need for salvation. Jesus went against the cultural norm in order to save souls. Why?
1: Because everyone needs Jesus. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stuart.
0: Well, I've entitled our message today, Everyone Needs Jesus. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been working through the book of John. We have made it through the first three chapters. Um, Hopefully by December we'll make it through chapter 11, at least that's the schedule. Uh, There's a weekly battle trying to figure out what portions of Scripture that I want to connect together, and so when, when... Internally, I wanted to preach 1 to 41, at least one somewhere in there, but all I could fit in was 1 to 26, and so that's what we're doing this morning. We've looked at last week the problem of popularity. Um, It was the disciples whom, if you remember, had the issues with what Jesus was doing as He was baptizing, and many people were coming to Him. For John was a man that lived and served as to what the Father had called him to do, and doing it without trying to uh, draw attention to himself. We saw that Jesus was working and spending time with his disciples, and they were baptizing, but also yet we find that John was doing the same thing, and, and in that some problem arose. A discussion, if you remember, we talked about that Greek word discussion, uh, really gives the idea of an argument or a debate. But yet, John wasn't the one who had the problem. It was the disciples, his followers. Chuck Swindoll, I love, he entitled his sermon on that, chapter 3, uh, uh, 22 to 26, The Preacher That Lost His Congregation. Um. What what an image. What would we do if we lost what we thought we built? That was the problem here in these disciples' eyes. They had viewed all of those coming to the Lord Jesus as a threat to the prosperous ministry of John when John was not even concerned. Because John said in John 3.30, as we looked at last week, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so without a personal problem, without pride getting in John's way, they both continue to do the work in which God had sent them to do. And that's what's happening as we approach chapter 4. So if you will, let's turn there today, you're probably already there as we've read it, John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. There are three things in our text today that I believe that Jesus reveals to his readers which we will be, very, will be very important to all of us in the generations to come in light of evangelism, in light of proclaiming Jesus Christ into our culture. And the, relight, and the reality is, is that everyone needs Jesus. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that Jesus reveals to us His purpose. Secondly, I want us to see that Jesus reveals to us His passion. And thirdly, Jesus reveals to us His personality, or His person. Let us begin, if you will, to dig in the context of what's happening here as we jump into chapter 4. John begins, Therefore, when the Lord knew the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were he left judah and went away again to galilee so jesus is here he's doing the work that he's been doing but tensions are are on the rise as the jews are knowing that his ministry is attracting more than those in which are coming to john now those people are now coming to jesus And Jesus desires to move back again to Galilee. Do you remember where he was in Galilee before? It's where he turned the water to wine. And so obviously he's come from Galilee. He's transitioned all the way back down into Jerusalem where he cleansed the temple. And now the text begins to tell us that he's moved outside of the city into the countryside of Judea. I cannot tell you exactly where he is. I just know he's not in the city of Jerusalem. He's in the countryside of Judea where he's doing this now. John is serving and baptizing. Jesus is serving and baptizing. But something's interestingly inserted into verse 2 of our text, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. We touched base on this a little bit last week, but I can't help but think of a way of side note. If Jesus did not partake in baptism literally doing it, then how can many in our culture claim that baptism saves? If Jesus believed that baptism was a part of salvation, then of course he would be baptizing. But he's not. Which I think is great proof that Jesus did not believe that baptism saves. Rather, it's a part of a inward uh, action that results in an outward profession of what God has done in our hearts. So the reality is, is if baptism saves, and I don't believe it does, I believe rather it's a false gospel, then we would be expecting to see Jesus baptizing. That's just a side note. I just wanted to plug that in there. Regardless, Jesus being aware of his ever-growing popularity in the country region of Judea would bring about a resentment on the part of the religious leaders. He's really close to Jerusalem. And all of these followers would spark anger in the light of the Jews. They did not like it. And it would bring about, it would lead to a permanent crisis. And Jesus, if you remember, knows when his time for that crisis is right. And he consistently tells us it is not yet the time, right? Remember when he spoke to his mother, he says, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come, right? So there's this crisis that's on the rise. And so because of this crisis, the verse three says he left Judah and went again into Galilee. Now, I find it very interesting because I believe that uh, there was a twofold thing going on here. Jesus did not want to discourage John's ministry. Uh, and so uh, it was time to move on. And many times in life, when ministry is happening and things are going on, it's time to move on and to do what it is the Lord's calling. And so here, Jesus, we, we are told, returns again and goes away again to Galilee. But what's strange about this is the fact that as he journeys back to Galilee, he he draws himself closer to John's ministry geographically. Now, when we read this, we don't really see it because we don't have the map in our face and in our heads. But the reality is, is here is where we find John's ministry. Remember, John is in Anan near Salem. That's the red circle right there. Above it is Galilee, Anan near Salem, is in Samaria. Just below that is Sychar, where we'll look at where Jesus journeys to, and below that is Judea. Jesus is in Judea working and serving and baptizing. See it way down there? He's somewhere in the countryside of Judea. John is in Anan working there serving and baptizing. And the text tells us that he left Judea and went to Galilee. And there's the travel route right there that the average Jew would take. Now, they could have gone on the, the, the other side, but they never would have traveled through the center unless they were super pressed for time. But Jesus, listen, knowing all things has a greater purpose And this is where we come to our first point as Jesus reveals to us his purpose. Notice he says in verse four, and he had to pass through Samaria. He came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus being wearied from his journey was sitting thus by the well and it was about the sixth hour. Jesus is on his way to Galilee. But something happens. He leaves that which would be the normal route to Galilee. And I want you to notice in this picture, he doesn't take that route. Rather, he leaves from there in Judah and makes his way to Sychar. The text says he had to pass through Samaria. The Jews would have never walked through this area unless they absolutely have to, as it is the shortest trip from Judah to Galilee, but they would have typically went out and went around by the Jordan and crossed up because they did not like the Samaritans. They didn't like them. And let me explain to you the depth of this. Just a few years ago, I was there in Israel. And I was at a restaurant in downtown Jerusalem where there are many Orthodox Jews still today. Um, I'm a Gentile, just in case you were wondering, I'm not a Jew. And I was eating a hamburger, which is fine, no problem. But on that hamburger I had cheese and I had bacon. That's a big no-no if you've ever been to Israel. You do not mix those two together. That is against the rules. And so as I would eat my bacon cheeseburger... On the left side of the street, the Orthodox Jews would walk down that side. They would cross over onto the other side of the road. They would take off their hat and they would turn it to the side because they did not want to see me or my bacon cheeseburger because they didn't want to become unclean. It was a big deal. Because this Gentile pagan, me, that's me, was in their country eating a bacon cheeseburger. Right? Here, we learn that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Jesus, listen, is revealing to us his purpose. Jesus is on a greater task. Let me clarify any misunderstandings as to who the Samaritans were and why the Jews did not like them. If you were in our Sunday school class, it was a great prep for this. And why they had a problem with the Samaritans. These people were a mixed race. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, we learned this morning in Sunday school, there was a list of rules and one of them was not to intermingle with pagan people, especially through marriage. And when the divided kingdom, because of Solomon, his disobedience, and his failure to allow his heart to marry a thousand women, which drew him into false idols, right? God brought in the divided kingdom. You have Israel and you have Judah. You have Israel's in the north and Judah's in the south. And then God sent a group of people to overthrow them called the Assyrians. And God said, hey, Judah, if you don't pay attention, if you don't do right in the sight of the Lord, not only will you no longer be Judah, I will have you overthrown. And so then the Babylonians came in and took over Assyria and Judah. And there they removed the Jews from Judea. But many stayed, and they stayed in the capital, Samaria, which is Sychar. So there were Jews there. The Babylonians pe- brought people in and they begin to intermingle, right? I'm sure some of these Babylonians were beautiful women and the guys, they had a lot of their people were gone and it was years and the next thing you know, they begin to talk to each other and befriend each other and the next thing you know, they're married and now they're having children and they became a, a race of half-breeds in the sight of the Jews. And so... After the return of the the people back to Judah, the Jews noticed this Samaria. They didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't like this half-breed of Jews. And so when they began to build the temple, they did not allow the Samaritans, to construct with them in Jerusalem. And so what do they do? They construct their own temple there at Mount Gerizim near Jacob's well. I stood there on Mount Gerizim in Israel and overlooked the valley, and there you could see Jacob's well, and this is where the temple would have been. The bitter hatred of the Jews in Samaria continued into the time of our Lord. The Jews had no dealing with Samaritans, but Jesus reveals to us his purpose. So Jesus is now in Samaria, sitting by Jacob's well, because he had a greater purpose at hand. And his purpose was to preach the kingdom of God, even to a half breed. Listen, if you're not a Jew, you may be considered a half breed. Praise God that Jesus is a God that left heaven and came to earth to save one like you and one like me, a Gentile. He's got a greater purpose. So Jesus, again, now sitting in by the well, he's tired from his journey. We see the humanity of Christ here. He's fully God, yet fully man. It's about midday, the sixth hour, the text says... And it says in verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. There's just so much to teach here. It's so limited on time. But think about this. Jesus drugged these disciples into Samaria. Among these half-breeds. And now... He's there by himself at the well, talking to a Samaritan woman at that, and they are called by Christ to not only go through Samaria, but to go in town and buy food from these people? You have lost your mind. They ain't happy about it, but they're doing it. Jesus is there. They went to buy food, and Christ here is alone with the Samaritan woman. Now we can begin to understand Jesus' purpose, and His purpose is to evangelize these people. His purpose has been the same, and it will be the same, as it always has, to preach the kingdom of God. Listen, Jesus went where the Jews don't go, because they needed Christ, and He knew their need for salvation. Jesus went against the cultural norm in order to save souls. Why? Because everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs salvation. She knows that he has no business talking with her. And that is why Jesus says, give me a drink. And the woman responds, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews, the text gives us a little detail, have no dealing with the Samaritans. This would have caused Jesus to be unpure in the eyes of the Jews. This is a big deal, guys. Culturally, we don't get it, right? We sit down with people of different cultures and different races and different breeds of folks and we have lunch with them and it's no big deal. But here, this is a problem. Jesus is revealing to us his purpose. His purpose is wishing that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that includes you today. His purpose then was the same, and His purpose for you today is the same. His purpose has always been the same. He said to His disciples in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Right? Right? God, Christ, saw men not by the color of their skin, not by the culture in which they were from, but the lostness within their souls. Jesus still today doesn't care if you're white, you're not supreme. If you're black, you're not supreme. If you're Hispanic, you're not supreme. You, he is concerned with your soul. Last I checked, we all bleed red. (laughs) Jesus wants your heart. He wants you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation so that you might have eternal life with him in heaven. He says, "I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go again and come and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself." That where I'm there you may be. All this is his purpose for you this morning. I wonder whom because of a culture conflict this morning in our congregation watching in the back or we'll watch live on the internet this week, fail to go and preach the kingdom of God because of cultural barriers. The Lord failed not to miss this great opportunity. Not only was there a shorter route, but in that shorter route, there was someone in need of salvation Who in here has failed to share Christ today because someone has hurt you? Because someone has mocked you? Because someone has misrepresented you? Anybody? How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? Think about that. Jesus approaches this woman. She's all out of wits about asking her for a drink You talk about an uncomfortable approach. He has no cup. He has nothing to draw with the water. And he says, give me a drink. Jesus just asked the Samaritan, in my notes, it's capitalized woman. You see, in our day, things have changed. But back then, women were not regarded very well of anything. They were not thought even worthy of investment in teaching the scriptures to them. And yet Jesus approaches her and speaks to her. Not only is she a woman, she's a Samaritan woman. It's a double negative. And he even asks her, listen, folks, to use her utensils. He's going to drink from this woman's utensils? Wow. This would have made the Jew completely unclean, unacceptable. But he crosses cultural boundaries. There's so much happening here, and in it all, Jesus is showing us that his purpose and his purpose is pointing to the fact that everyone needs Jesus. Can you think of this morning someone who needs to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? That out of fear you've been afraid to go to and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's in the middle of the day. It's about the sixth hour. It's blistering hot. If you've ever been to Israel, it's like Africa hot in Israel. I mean, it is blazing in the summertime. And here, she's there in the middle of the day. No one comes to draw water in the middle of the day, so why is she here in the middle of the day? They would have either drawn it in the morning or in the late afternoon, but because she's there in the middle of the day, we might be able to conclude that she was a cultural outcast. And so she was there when she could be there. No doubt the Lord connects chapter 3 and 4 together here. This is amazing. Here in chapter 3 you have the man named Nicodemus. Remember him? The Pharisee, the trained theologian, the one who lived righteously. One comes by night and one comes by day. Here you have the social outcast living in sin. One responds and one doesn't. John is showing us, listen, that no matter your social status, no matter how good you think you are, and no matter how bad you think you are, we all need Jesus Christ. And if you're born again, you ought to be saying amen. Because can you remember before Christ in your life? The hideous hideous life we lived, the things we did that were contrary to God, and we did it blindly, not knowing. And yet, by the grace of God, through the cross of Jesus Christ, we can see now just the transformation that's taken place in our lives. There's a comparison here between these two. Jesus reveals to us his purpose, and his purpose should be and must be our purpose as well, and that is whatever cultural boundaries that need to be crossed in order to show Jesus Christ, that's what we ought to do. That's what we should do. But I wonder this. How many of us are just failing to share the gospel altogether? There need not be a, a cultural boundary. We just don't do it at all. Whether it be among your own geographical location or somebody else's. There's a bunch of lessons that we can teach here. The heart of Jesus is that everyone needs Christ. They need forgiveness. And we, if we've truly been born again and God has transformed our heart, giving us a new heart, right? off with the old and on with the new, you are a new creation in Christ, then whatever it is that we're doing, wherever it is that we are, whomever culture we are in, our desire should always be to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we are not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, two things, we don't have a true conversion in Christ, or we fail to see the need of everyone needing Jesus like you do. Because we have a special gift The gift of salvation, it comes from knowing Christ. He reveals to us His purpose, and it must be our purpose as well to share the gospel. The gift of God, eternal life, it must take place. But not only does Jesus reveal to us His purpose here, secondly, Jesus reveals to us His passion. I want you to consider that which you are passionate about this morning. Passion is something that drives us, isn't it? I'm passionate about a few things in life, and but though, you know, you say, Well, Pastor, boy, you sure can't get all wired up. Listen, this is my passion. This word is active and living, and it will transform your life. And you better bet I'm going to be excited about it. I get get I get paid to do this for a living. And you know what? Let the Lord open up an opportunity. I will love to share Jesus Christ. And I don't always do it. But when the doors open, boy, it's a great experience. If you never had the opportunity to share Jesus with somebody from beginning to end and watch them step from the temporal things into the eternal things, boy, there's no greater joy in seeing someone come Christ. But beware, they will reject they will mock you and they will laugh at you and they will tell you your Jesus is a, is a hoax. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. And that's okay. Do you have a desire to share the gospel? Jesus is going to show us his passion. What are you passionate about? Because that which you are passionate about, you act upon. You do. You engage. Think about this. This thing cut me to my soul. That which you have passion about, that is what you do. And if you're not sharing Jesus Christ, then you're not passionate about it. If you're not passionate about Jesus Christ, we need to be. Because Jesus had passion. If you have a passion for making lots of money, guess what? You're going to work your brains out to accomplish it you will sacrifice the temporal gain for the long-term gain, won't we? If you have a passion for fitness, right, you will sacrifice and you will sweat and you will eat properly, right, so that you can be fit. You will work hard to stay in shape. Listen, if you have a passion for fishing, you will spend time on the water, so that you will know where to go, when to go, and how to go, so that you can catch lots of fish. If you have a passion for raising godly children, you will invest your time in them. You will engage your energy and your resources in raising them the best you can, while all the more trusting Jesus Christ to change their heart. Because at last I checked, Jesus is the one who changes hearts, not us. What are you passionate about this morning? The reality is, is that which you have passion for, you will accomplish. I told you I had a passion for Chick-fil-A when we lived in Montana and they didn't have a Chick-fil-A. So we drove five hours one way to eat Chick-fil-A, stay in a hotel, lunch or breakfast, lunch and dinner and breakfast and come back home because we had a passion for it. And that which you have a passion, you will get. You better be glad Chick-fil-A ain't open on Sundays because I'll be there today. Super Bowl ain't till three o'clock, I don't think. What are you passionate about this morning? Because Jesus here is revealing to us his passion. In response to that question in hand, how is it that you, being a Jew, asked me for a drink in the Samaritan woman, for, from the Samaritan woman? And Jesus answered to her in verse 10, "If you knew the gift of God and who it was says to you, "Give me a drink you would have been, you would have asked him." And he would have given you living water. Here's where the passages start getting really confusing and really difficult to truly understand. So if you're sleeping now, you might want to wake up. Jesus begins to shift the conversation. He's, he begins by revealing to this woman his humanity. He starts out as the one needing the water. While Jesus is fully human, here we also know and understand that He is like it says in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, the, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have in this passage God in flesh. And yet He's thirsty, He's weary. Now, we know that Jesus doesn't really need anything. He could have had water blow out of that well like a water hose if he wanted. But he wants to break ground with conversation. And then here Jesus transitions the need from himself to now her being the one in need. You see, evangelism is engaging people about their need and their need is for Jesus. If you knew the gift of God that my friends he, he, what he's saying is if that's eternal life. Romans 6:23 points to this very fact when it says the wages of sin is uh, the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And here, Christ Jesus is having a conversation with this outcast, this half-breed Samaritan woman, and he tells her that she, if you knew the gift, you would have asked me. He's saying, listen, woman, if you had eyes to see, if you were to be born again from above, you would have asked and I would have given you living water. She doesn't get it. She misses it. At this moment, Christ has a passion to win her to salvation. So she, not knowing who this man is, begins to debate with her. I love this the, 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 This woman. She, she's, she's not shy. She engages Christ. And in verse 11, it says, she said to him, sir. Right? She's just bringing out the obvious. She's like, dude, you got nothing to draw water with. <laughs> the well is deep. Where do you get this living water again? Because last I checked, brother, you ain't got nothing to get it out with, and that's why you was asking me for water. But now you offering me something? Come on, man, you're confusing me now. And then she goes, are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Listen, it's a rhetorical question, isn't it? She, of course, doesn't believe that he is greater Then that he can give water because he has nothing to draw with. How is it, God, that you can give living water when you have nothing to draw with? You were just the one asking me for it. Now you're offering me living water? She's a ball of fire, this gal. But listen, throughout the Old Testament, we find living water used as a metaphor to describe the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. You see this idea used in Nehemiah's prayer for deliverance when he says in 1713, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who are abandoned, you you will be put to shame. All who turn away will be written in the dust, for they have abandoned the Lord. Right? The fountain of living water. You would have thought she would have got this, but she misses it listen, living water throughout the Old Testament brings about the idea of spiritual cleansing. And what he's saying is, woman, if you would have been born again spiritually, born from above, you would have asked me. But she's blind and she misses it. I wonder how many this morning are blind spiritually. have never drank from the living water. But Jesus fires back He fires back with insults, right? He fires back with an argumentative heart, right? No, he doesn't. He's God in flesh. If anybody had authority to fight back right here with argumentative ideas and philosophies and apologetics, he could have done it and just made her look like a great big old dummy. But that's what he does. But that's what we do many times, isn't it? We will argue to win the battle and yet lose the war. Some people just always have to be right. Sometimes the best evangelism is not to argue so you can win the battle. Sometimes it's just zipping it and praying because it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. You ain't saving them no way. I I, I could be the most theologically astute guy in all of South Carolina. The best apologist around. I'm not, but I could be. But that doesn't win souls, does it? Now, that doesn't mean we don't give an account for the hope that's within us. Because we've called to give in a defense for the hope that's within us. But it must be spirit-led. Must be spirit-led. Jesus did not challenge her tradition about the well, about drawing attention to her poor understanding of the biblical text, Matter of fact, he doesn't even mention Jacob again, does he? Listen, sometimes the best method of evangelism is not to argue. Because let me tell you something. They know not because they are born not from above. And just because you have a bunch of biblical understanding doesn't make you a great evangelist. It makes you have a bunch of great information. It can sometimes show just how much pride is living in our hearts is what it can do. I I usually ask permission before I use people as an example, but for an example, Dad, I'm going to use him. My father has not always been a believer. And there were times in which I kept my mouth shut and I prayed for him. I didn't argue with him. I used to argue with him. And we were getting heated debates. And it got ugly. And then the Lord just pricked my heart. You're not saving him regardless. I am. Pray for him. And I made a decision one day coming over the Broad River Bridge. And we had a dialogue. And everything inside of me wanted to speak up and tell him how wrong he was and how much he needed Jesus. But at that point... The Lord just impressed in my heart, just pray for him and enjoy the time you have with them now. And by God's grace, not because of me, I didn't lead my father to the Lord. Somebody else did. Sometimes our best approach to evangelism is not to argue the facts. Because it's like arguing calculus with a child. They don't get it. Or with me, because I don't know calculus. <laughs> right? Now, again, I'm not saying we don't give an account for the hope that is in us. But you don't win souls through debate. You win souls through prayer and relying on God, not information. Jesus has a passion to win this woman into salvation. And he heads right back to the same topic, not defending who he is or what he can do, but rather... Points again to the core question of water and of thirst. So Jesus patiently says, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. That's the physical, present, active water that's within the well. If you drink of this water in this well, woman, you'll just be thirsty again. Matter of fact, I mean, I've drank a bunch of these this morning and I'm still thirsty. Same idea. If I drink this and I drink ten of them, I will be thirsty again. And then he transitions from the physical to now the spiritual. But whoever drinks the water that I give him shall never thirst again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing into eternal life. Listen, this comparison is striking. When you are an unbeliever, you're always thirsty for the things of this world, for temporal gain, for temporal satisfaction. But when you come to know Jesus Christ, when you have a transformed heart, when you are born again from above, God gives you a soul that's satisfied. And Paul says, I've learned to do well with much and I've learned to do well without because our satisfaction is not in what we can gain, but what he gave. This is an amazing statement because it doesn't matter, guys, what we obtain in this world you ain't going to take it with you. And you're not guaranteed good health tomorrow. Many of you sitting here have lost loved ones, dear ones, close people, and some of you recently. And some will experience it sooner than others. But the reality is we can have joy, we can have peace, and we can have satisfaction within our souls because of the living water that comes from knowing Jesus Christ personally. Whoever drinks of that water, I will give him, he will never thirst again, but the water that I give him will become in him a well of springing to eternal life. And you can chase after the things in this world, but it will never satisfy you. You can try to put your joy in money and materials, but you'll never get enough. One rich man said, "How much more money, can you possibly want? He said, just one more dollar. One more dollar. You got a billion? I need a billion and one. got a billion and one? I need a billion and two. Uh, how many more nice cars do we need? I, just one more. Just one more. It's never enough. Because these are temporal things and they never satisfied... But Jesus Christ is the eternal who offers salvation to all who would believe in his name. And he will give you water that will well up to eternal life. That is satisfying. You see, one can seek after joy and happiness as the world offers it. But it will leave you thirsty for more. But whatever soul that is parched, whatever soul that is here today that is in desperate need for this living water, a springing well that would bring up to eternal life comes along from taking him from this well of a springing up to eternal life. It's through Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you want this? She does. She wants this water. How about you? Listen to what she says. This woman says to her, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Nor might I have to come all the way down here to draw. Of course she wanted the benefits of the living water. Can I ask you a question? Let's just be frank and honest. How many want to go to hell? Yeah, exactly. Nobody, right? Nobody wants that. You're not even going to get a child to answer. Yeah, I want to go there. Right? We all want the living water because we all want to know where we are living eternally. Just because she doesn't understand what he's saying doesn't mean the truth behind it shouldn't be known to us. You see, maybe you're here today and you want all the benefits of salvation without being saved. You want the living water. Give me the living water. But before there is a reaping, there first must be a revealing. I wanted heaven. I wanted salvation after I died. In 2001, March 24th, I was saved March 25th. In March 24th of 2001, I wanted all these things. But I didn't obtain them. Because in order for me to reap the benefits of salvation, my sin must have first been revealed. If you come in here this morning and you think you're good enough to get to heaven, let me just advise you that Scripture says your greatest deeds are nothing but filthy rags. If you could be good enough to get to heaven, then Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. Galatians 2.20 says if salvation could become by the law, then what? Christ died needlessly. No, you need salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who paid the price, who was come down from heaven, became flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross, was buried, and three days later rose again from the grave. The gospel. The gospel is what you need. And that is why when I share the gospel, guys, I never start with the love of God. Now, you can do it any way you want. That's your own business, your own prerogative. But I start with the fall of man. Because how can you know what is good news if you don't know what the bad news is? Good news isn't real good news unless you know there's bad news. She can't be saved until she knows she's lost. And until she understands her need for this living water... And Jesus has a passion to win her over to salvation because he has a passion for her soul. He is willing to reveal to her heart the sin in her life. Listen, we all want the things from God. Nobody mistakes that. Lord, help me in my circumstances. Lord, give me the money I need. Lord, help me pay my rent. Lord, heal my child. Lord, give me good health. Give me this. Give me that. But people want Jesus without facing the sin in which they need to deal with first. Maybe you're here today and you haven't faced the fact that you are a sinner in need of Christ. Your sin has made a separation between you and your God, it says in Isaiah 59 two. And so while Jesus reveals to us his purpose, to go wherever we must go in order to reach people for Christ, Jesus reveals to us his passion Uh, To share salvation with those in need, with everyone, no matter who they are, where they are. We also see, thirdly, Jesus reveals to us his person. It's about to become a reality to this woman, just who this man really is. He says in verse 16, he said to her, go, call your husband to come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, you have no husband, for you've had five husbands. But the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. In this passage so far, we've seen the humanity of Christ and how he's weary and thirsty. We've also come to see now the deed of Christ. While in human flesh, he's fully God and fully man. She knows something's up because this guy just told her his, her business. How in the world does this guy know all about my life? You know what? Jesus knew her business even if she didn't ever tell him his business. And when we come into the house of God, we can't act like God don't know our business. Because he's aware of everything we do in private. He said to the woman, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. She doesn't seem to me at this point to be transformed, but... This reality, she knows this guy is something different. She knows he is not just an average Joe. She perceives that he is a prophet. And so she makes a move, right, to change the subject. From her sin to an issue of worship. Listen, when you're sharing the gospel and you get down to the nitty-gritty and you start talking about sin, let me tell you what people are going to do. They're going to shift ground. They're going to change the topic. And that's what she's doing. Lord, we can talk about anything, but don't be talking about my business, right? Listen, that's what salvation's about. It's about being honest with ourselves and knowing our need for Christ. Because, listen, we can dress up all pretty in our shirts and our slacks and some sweaters and ties and bow ties and all this good stuff. But when we come in here, the reality is, is we all got messed up lives. And we all are in the same boat. We need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Listen, we have to deal with our sin. We have to come to the table admitting that we are sinners and we can't save ourselves, that we're lost. We're always saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, don't shift ground. Don't change the subject. But rather repent and believe the gospel. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, like Jesus knows all of her personal business, listen, he knows yours as well this morning. And I ain't fooling him, and you're not fooling him either. He knows it all because he is God in flesh and he is all-knowing. He is a sovereign God over every ounce of our life. He knows the the amount of hair on your head, some more than others. Right? Right? Some have a lot more hair than others. But he knows exactly how many you got. Because he knows your business. You can't hide anything from Jesus. And here Jesus to this woman has just proved that by revealing to us his person. So like us, she also shifts the topic. She had a shifting ground moment. She didn't really want to talk about her personal problems. She wanted to talk theology. She simply wanted to change the subject. Sarah perceived that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. And your people say Jerusalem is where the place we ought to be worshiping. Remember the Samaritan people? They started their own place of worship. Because of them being this half breed, they weren't allowed to worship there, and so they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And she gives credit. That, that, that he was able to tell her about his life and about her sin, but she wasn't ready to deal with that. And this morning, listen to me, guys. It's time we deal with it. Because the reality is, is you don't, maybe you're not guaranteed another breath in your lungs. And when you walk out of these doors, listen, assuming you get to walk out of these doors, you could die. And where you are today is where you will be eternally, either in Christ or separated from Christ There's neither, you can't be on the fence. Either you're for them or you're against them. And you have to be the judge of that. I'm not your judge. I'm just a sinner saved by grace trying to encourage you to come to Christ to place your faith in Jesus alone. You know, when you share your faith enough, you'll see this happen. You start talking about sin, they they'll twist the conversation and try to get away from it. And many times, that discernment will tell you they're not ready, and that's okay, because we're not saving them anyways. Woman, you have five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. She is living in habitual sin. She's living why? Well, number one, she's living with a man that she's not married to. That's a sin. That's adultery. And in our culture, adultery is okay. Right? I mean, isn't is that what we hear? It's okay. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't go buy a car, right? Unless you test drove it first. I, I've heard it all. But the reality is, is this. It's a sin. And what is a sin? We need to call a sin because Jesus Christ can forgive in the most hideous sin. I used to be the worst sinner. You don't know me. Now you know who I am in Christ and that's all you really need to know about me because I don't look back at my life and what I used to be because when I became a Christian I forgot what lies ahead and I began to look on forward to the goal that lies ahead the return of Jesus Christ. Listen, the reality is is the devil wants you to believe all of these cultural lies because it will bring you joy. Listen, he is the father of lies, and he will always be a liar, and the truth is not in him. And while he gives this woman credit for truth, that she doesn't have a husband, Jesus unmasks her sin. Listen, the person of Christ knows the sin in our lives. We can't hide it from him. But what we can do is repent of it. First John 1 John 9 says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the hope. Now, that is not a a message of salvation. That's a message to the believer, right? But the reality remains the same, that until you admit that you're a sinner in need of Christ, you'll always be a runner, seeking the things of this world. Listen, the person of Jesus knows the sin in our lives. It doesn't matter which mountain you think, he says you should worship on. Jesus said, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor that one in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You will worship, we you worship what you don't know. Like, she doesn't get it. They worship here, it's, it's not the proper worship because he says we worship what we know. Jesus knows the proper worship is to take place in Jerusalem. For salvation is of the Jews. But an hour is coming. This is when we can rejoice. An hour is coming. And is now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Listen, you must be born from above. Jesus said, listen, it's better I go away because when I go away I'll send a helper and he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. When Jesus ascended up the right hand of the Father, he sent us the Holy Spirit. And unless you are born again, you're not indwelt with the Spirit of God. But when you are born again, you are indwelt with the Spirit that will bring you joy, peace, comfort in the midst of any circumstance in your life. You will be completely satisfied in Jesus. Because at the end of the day, you know that is all that you have is Christ and salvation. And you can rejoice at my funeral. Don't pity me because this old body, as big as it may be and as painful as it may get when I exercise and work out and play softball and baseball, listen, I'm going to be in my glorified state. And I'm going to rejoice and I can be completely satisfied that whatever comes over me, or my children who have trusted in Jesus Christ, there is no greater than joy. There is no more satisfying feeling to know that Jesus Christ is living in me and that I will live for eternity. This place of worship under the new covenant isn't the issue, but rather how one worships. It's not about rituals. It's not about external procedures which the Jews were highly engaged in. It's not about for these people ceremonies, but rather it must be central on God's word, the truth. Must be spirit and truth. Listen, you come today and you may put much into what you can do for God or how good you think you might be, but unless and listen, unless you worship God in spirit and in truth, it will be a bad day if you enter to eternity today. And your heart is with a consistent truth revealed in God's word, we can accomplish nothing in our own strength. you can't work your way to God, and she shouldn't either. This woman fully unable to grasp all that's been said, she says, in 4:25, "I know that Messiah is coming, right She's waiting on the Messiah to come to rule on her white horse, right? To bring about an earthly, king. that's not Jesus' purpose. She expected him to come in on a white horse, rather, he comes in on a donkey. She expects him to come in as a reigning king, but rather, he comes in as a servant, washing the feet of his disciples. You say here, and they say there. Now you say in spirit and truth, but Messiah comes. He will declare all things to us. And then he says in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. You imagine being her— All these years of silence. All these years of waiting to hear the Messiah has come. And here, Jesus reveals his personality. What we've seen today is that this woman has missed the Messiah up until he reveals his person to her. I who speak to you am he. Can I ask you a question today? Do you know him? Because he knows you. He knows all about your life. He knows all about your sin. That's why he came to die, that you might have life. And while yet we are sinners, Christ died for us.
1: Everybody needs Jesus. Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you are challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us, and have a great week.